each of us are connected to food systems. So you and I have a vested interest in understanding its workings, challenges, and potential solutions. In my role at Google, one of my responsibilities is to ask, what are the impacts of our food choices? Not just on our individual health and well-being, but also on the food systems we are a part of, our producers, our suppliers, society, and the planet. I believe we all have a responsibility to ask big questions like this one. The answers can open a world of possibility. I invite you to join me in meeting the leaders who have dared to step up to answer these bigger questions to create a better food future for us all. This is Food Lab Talk. Thanks for joining me for another Food Lab Talk. I am Michael Bakker. On our last episode, we heard from Ade Romero Briones at the First Nations Development Institute. Ade gave us a closer look at indigenous food systems and emphasized the critical nature of relationships within these systems. Today, we'll pick up on this theme of relationships with Neil Gose, the founder of the Robin Hood Army. Because I generally feel that food builds trust. If you're serving someone week on week, month on month, year on year, it ceases to be charity and it becomes more about community. The Robin Hood Army is a zero-funds volunteer-based organization that is using food redistribution as a medium to connect with others and solve for the problem of excess food at restaurants, grocery stores, and other food service settings. Through the power of people, Robin Hood Army has skills to reach more than 400 cities in 13 countries. On today's episode, you'll hear about what inspired Neil to begin the Robin Hood Army, how Neil and his colleagues have maintained the mission of the organization as it grows to include millions of Robins around the world, and his advice for thinking less and doing more. Here's my interview with Neil. So my name is Neil. I live in Delhi, in India. At work during the day, I work for Google Pay. For most of the rest of my time, I lead an organization called the Robin Hood Army. What we do is really, really simple. Volunteers in their free time collect surplus food from restaurants and give it to the less fortunate. It started as a passion project. It's still my biggest passion, but I feel it more as a responsibility. Outside of that, I do just a lot of regular Indian things. I love my cricket. I love watching movies, the really long Bollywood ones. And um, yeah, I love spending a lot of time with my um, niece, Tara. She lives in England. She's seven years old. She's finished the whole Harry Potter set. And we love sorting people we meet into houses. I see. <laughs> that is so fascinating. I think you got away a little too easy because she said it's just a passion project. And that is what it was. So let's dig a little deeper. Where does this passion project come to life? So one would like, like to say that I had thought it through my whole life. And this was something where I was just waiting for the right moment. But uh, unfortunately, that's not true. This was very um, serendipitous and it happened completely by chance. So I used to work for 
a food tech company called Zomato. It's India's version of DoorDash. And I had joined it at a pretty early stage. So my role in Zomato for a couple of years was setting up our international markets. So I would uh, spend nine to 12 months in each of our markets, visit rest- restaurants, build our content, build our sales team, take revenue to a certain level, and then move to the next market. So this was in April 2014. And I was living in Lisbon, Portugal. Have you been there? Because I know Starboard has taken you all over the world. I've been there. <laughs> oh, yeah? Did you, did you ever work there? Now we had hotels over there, so I got to travel. Great city to visit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great weather, great people, great food, great prices also for that matter. So, yeah, it ticks a lot of boxes. So, so, anyway, so when I was in Portugal, we were setting up Zomato, the food tech platform there. And this was a time when we were relatively bootstrapped. So a lot of our marketing was um, barters or partnerships. And uh, so we used to do that with really credible local organizations. There was this organization called ReFood, which we partnered with. The idea was really, really simple and really, really incredible. That they would collect surplus food from restaurants and give it to the less fortunate in a hyper-local manner, which means in the, in the local community. And uh, very honestly, till then, Michael, I, I had not spent a lot of my time on things beyond my career or beyond myself, very honestly. But I just found this very intuitive and obvious. You know, I was like, this is something which is not rocket science. I'm sure there's a use case for this in like countries like us in India. So I spent some time with the founder. And I spent some time with the teams, just trying to understand like what they do, what are their operations, what are their processes, how do they motivate volunteers, why do they do what they do. And then when I came back to India, and this was August of 2015, I got in touch with a couple of close friends. I'm like, you know what, why don't we try something similar? So that's literally how it started. It was not really thought through. It was very, very by chance. But I'm so glad I was in Portugal when I was at that phase of life. Yeah. And if I heard you correctly, you mentioned two things, the surplus and then the less fortunate. Right. Right. Was one more important than the other for you in the beginning? Because we're talking first and foremost over here about food loss and waste. But I think what you're showcasing actually, you can ultimately do two things with one really amazing initiative. Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's the first time I've been asked that. I feel initially it was more about the fact that, look, there is so much food which is wasted and thrown away. It just feels like that's an opportunity to help people in whatever capacity. But I think eventually in a place like India, where there are a lot of inequalities, it's very easy to get through life in your circles without kind of looking at what's happening around you. But I'll give you an example in our first food drive in South Delhi. uh, This was probably 10 minutes from where we lived. We had sourced food for 150 meals through restaurants which had excess food. We were not completely sure that can we get or can we find 150 people to give this food to. But when we went searching, and that's what happens, like it's very easy to go through life without like looking around you. 
But when we went searching, we realized there were literally thousands in probably a kilometer away from where we were. I think that's when the sole purpose of just like, like this can actually help people not in terms of like just meeting someone, but also like literally it could be their only meal for the day. And that was really, really powerful. And that was very, very jarring also. And that's when we realized that, you know, like this is something where we really need to figure out how to scale this, how to take this way beyond us, because there's definitely a solution for the people we're trying to help. So that's kind of, uh, I think right now I'll probably say the people we serve or the cause of hunger is slightly more close to my heart because I generally feel that food builds trust. If you're serving someone week on week, month on month, year on year, it ceases to be charity and it becomes more about community. For example, if I'm having dinner with you, Michael, the idea is me trying to get to know you and you trying to get to know me, right? And I think when you're sharing food, like, and if you think about it, less is logistics and more about like, oh, this is a chance for me to engage with the person I'm sharing food to and having a conversation and getting to know about their lives, their dreams, their aspirations. It's a leveler, right? And it helps bring people together in one community. So I think for me, I think that's the purest part of food distribution where you really get to know people around you. And that's why I think that part of my life has become quite special. Yeah. Can I just go back to what you said a little, a little earlier? What I heard you say is that you can live your life, you stay in your own circle, but there's so much more happening around you. Do you remember or do you have thoughts on what ultimately caused you to get out of your circle? Because what we're trying to do with this podcast to inspire others to do what you have done. So do you remember what ultimately caused you to say, wow, there is so much more out there. Any reflections on that? Hmm, that's a good question. See, I feel like in countries like ours in Asia, if you have a slight amount of privilege, right? Whether it's education, whether it's resources, whether it's the job you do, it's that much easier to make a difference to people around you. And that's honestly a two-way street. It's not you just being altruistic and going and helping people. It's probably one of the most meditative experiences one can have. So I think the initial days where we realized that like, okay, cool, let's not think about this as charity. Let's not think about this as altruism. Let's not think about this as go doing good to the world. Let's think about like, look, like this is a section of society or community who live in the streets, who might be orphans in an orphanage, who might be patients in a public hospital who are waiting to be treated, or uh, folks in an old age home, which is not very well funded. But everyone has perspective. Everyone has their own life story. And in a lot of cases, a lot of these folks are actually happier than the people you see around you. And that's, that's such an eye opener, right? And that's when you realize that, you know what, like the things I worry about and think about in life, which like take up so much of my time, which is like the next appraisal or how do I position myself or the next career move? I'm like, okay, it's important, but it's not urgent. It's not critical. And I think that perspective 
actually makes you better at what you do. It gives you much more clarity of thought. It makes you know there's much more outside to you beyond your world. And for me, it's through simple conversations. You know, I think like I remember very early in the Robin Hood Army journey, we were giving food to kids in a blind school. And there was a, a kid, he was probably 16 or 17 years old. And um, I was just talking to him and he was telling me about the fact that he's learning coding right now. He's been following a bunch of startups within the India ecosystem. He's telling me these are my idols. He was discussing business models with me and I was, uh, okay, so what do you want to do? And uh, like, he's like, oh, I just want to like make sure that I'm a good enough coder and then I want to start my own business. I was like, wow, and why do you want to do that? He's like, oh, we are three brothers and unfortunately we're, we don't come from a lot of money. So I have to kill it for everyone and I know I will. And I was like, wow, as in that clarity, that confidence, as in he's not even pitting himself. My first reaction was, oh, okay, like, how can I help and what's happening? And he does not think about his disability as a bottleneck. He's just like, oh, this is what life's given me and I just have to move with it. So I think for me, um, I think that community building effort, it's something which is really positive. It's really illuminating. And the way I think about the Robin Hood army is like, we're using excess food to solve for hunger at scale. We serve around two and a half million meals every month. But in my mind, that's actually two and a half million conversations. And through those conversations, you really get to know people around you. You win trust. And the idea is how do you use food to bring about the best of humanity? So that's kind of almost become our mission statement. Yeah. Again, there's so much to unpack over here because you just went from you were in Lisbon, you did something, you moved back to India, and now you're serving two and a half million meals a month. There is something probably in between. How did you get from doing something with your friends? You experienced what you just described. What happened next? You know, a lot of the people who were initially building the Robin Hood Army were my colleagues at Zomato. We had gone through around four or five years of building India's first large food tech company. And honestly, we're a bunch of kids, like figuring it out. So a lot of the mistakes we made, we tried to like, okay, what do we do differently while building this organization out? So I think first things first, um, we use, we leverage our local networks of restaurant owners to kind of... Um, bring them on board and get things started. You know, I'm a big, big believer that most of the answers to scale will come on the ground. So the first thing you need to do is get started, right? Like don't overthink the five-year plan. I love just to get started versus let's spend a year thinking about it. To get going, yes, to get going. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so we're like, okay, cool. Like we're not sure how we'll scale. We not even thought through that, but we're like, let's get started. And I think uh, we saw a lot of positive affirmation in the first few weeks. There were a lot of uh, restaurant owners who were really enamored by the idea. Oh, they're like, oh, you really do this in your free time. And uh, they're like, you know what? Why not? Like, we'll not just give you our excess food. We make meals for our staff. Why don't we make 20 me extra meals and you give it to us? And what we try to do at a very early stage is involve them not just as 
donors or sponsors or whatever you might call it, but as participants. So we say, okay, cool, we'll take your food, but at least once a month, you need to come with us for the drives to see what's happening. And I think that's when they started thinking about themselves less as helping the Robin Hood army. And in their mind, they became the Robin Hood army. And that always has a network effect, you know, like when you have people who have high levels of ownership around you. So that was one. But now these were people who were our first degree connections or networks or friends. But what I realized is that when a lot other Robins started going and pitching to restaurants and people who did not necessarily have a network, there was a bit of uncertainty, but how do we know where the food is going and how do we know you're going to take it there? And because of that reason, we started documenting our journey on social media. So at that point, like most of us were young professionals who were joining the Robin Hood Army. Now it's much, much more spread out. But we started sharing pictures of the food drives and the food distributions and not of the angst or the hunger or the despair or anything, but happy moments of sharing. You know, like you sharing food with a child and playing ball with them, giving them a high five, you taking a selfie with the old grandmother and making her pout. Like we started sharing that. The primary reason was to have some kind of legitimacy with restaurant owners we didn't know. But the unintended consequence was that people around us, you know, and not just in our cities, but in a Bombay, in a Calcutta, in a Bangalore, in a Hyderabad, in, in India, they started seeing this and they're like, oh, this is really cool. You know, like I know this person, I work with him or her in a in office and this is a really cool thing which they're doing on the weekend, wearing green and just like engaging with the community over food. So a lot of our friends started asking us that, oh, let us know when you come into our city. And coming back to your point, Michael, about do we wait for the optimum moment or do we build on what we already have? I remember having a conversation with Anand and Arushi, who were leading the Robin Hood Army with me then. And we were like, do we wait till we get Delhi absolutely perfect and like uh, scaled? And then do we take the model to the next city? Or do we just fly down for the weekend or get on a Zoom call and just run people through the building blocks of what we have encountered, you know, which is how do you onboard restaurants? How do you identify the people you serve? How do you delegate responsibility to the first five team members? Uh, how do you leverage social media? I'm like, if you think about it in really simple terms, there are building blocks, which have ultimately become our, our playbook. So I'm like, that can be communicated. So I'm so, so glad we did the latter, where we didn't wait for ourselves to be perfect, but we just took the playbook and communicated it to people who expressed interest because they ended up doing a much better job than we did, <laughs> you know? So like, <laughs> so like Bombay and Bangalore and Calcutta and Hyderabad and Pune and ultimately Karachi also in Pakistan, uh, which is also a story in itself because India and Pakistan don't do a lot of things together. So they ended up growing much faster than Delhi in those times. And Delhi ultimately ended up growing after we handed it over <laughs> to local team. And that's when I realized that, you know what, uh, two things, one is people in every part of the world want to make a difference, right? They're looking for the like-minded set of values. They're looking for a playbook and uh, they're looking for community to build it with. 
and two is a lot of these people have a much better pulse on the ground than what i might have people who probably run businesses for decades and they might have much more perspective on what the local needs of their city or their community are and our job is not to tell them exactly what to do our job is to share how to operate this model and then let them kind of like take it where they are with certain guardrails so i think that was one of like a pivotal moment in robinhood army where we decide to keep it decentralized let's share the playbook let's share the guardrails that you can't collect money we serve all religions we have no political affiliations and i'll unpack that in a bit but let people work their magic and it's really cool how people innovate you know how the robins innovated in a lot of cases like we focused only on excess food from restaurants but what we saw in other cities is they opened up food sources from indian weddings which is a ridiculous amount of food waste i don't know if you guys have been to an indian wedding but it's it's a lot of food amongst other things right they opened up partnerships with local supermarkets where it was not just about excess cooked food but also excess raw rations which can serve meals to families for like weeks at a stretch they figured out different ways to scout you know which is like identify the people who need the food the most so i think to summarize the best thing we could do was decentralize and decide at an early stage not to collect money because paradoxically that's the reason why we're still growing and serving more and more people month on month yeah one of the things i always like to dig in neil is actually the role of a leader in driving change you've set up a decentralized organization you've beautifully articulated of why that has worked and you talk about boundaries so i'm just curious about the tension that you might feel inside of you is that you've created the robin hood army you have ultimately incredibly expanded it all over the world you do amazing stuff with that but it is still the robin hood army and how do you feel and how do you deal with the tension with as more volunteers show up they're starting to change the model slightly they want to get involved not just food and for example the eye surgery as well how do you deal with this tension that it might grow and become larger and larger and might lose what it's originally set up to do and at the same time acknowledging that ultimately there's amazing impact to be made yeah very very uh, good question i'd like to gather my thoughts for that so i think um, within two or three years of building the robinhood army i have stopped thinking about it as my baby or my creation or arushi anand and my creation i think we chanced on a good idea i think we were lucky to find people at an early stage who could take it into different parts of the country and different parts of the world and i think we've taken the right call in building systems to enable this to happen at scale but i think that's like are we are more custodians of the robinhood army than ceos like i think so for the first two or three years if something happened which was not attuned with the way i would have done it i would have been very uncomfortable and i would have tried to get involved 
but i think like you have to also be comfortable with people doing things their own way mistakes happening and learning from that rather than trying to like keep a pulse on every part of like what waits i think what i obsess about is what could kind of like break the goodwill of the robin hood army you know i think that's really really key to like what we do so that is something which like i probably think about every single day like what is that one black swan event which could stop what we do overnight you know that's my responsibility but i think like whether everything happens exactly how i foresaw it is not important i think if more people are being served that's what's important now having said that what we've given a lot of thought to from a very early stage and again like these are learnings and mistakes from startup world is um, how do we codify our culture and how do we kind of bring together shared values and like at one point the good and one point like what are your guardrails against things like changing overnight so i remember in, like probably 3 years into the robin hood army we actually have this annual meet and it's happening um, this weekend and the next weekend so it's in the beginning of every year and all our um, city heads they kind of fly down to one geography and we host them in a kind of conference room which is courtesy some of our partners it could be a hotel it could be a co-working space and like it's all free of cost and we kind of plan ahead you know like what did we learn last year what were our mistakes what are kind of our guiding principles and what are our goals and i remember 6 or 7 years back in one of these sessions we spent 2 hours kind of codifying what our robin hood army culture is right and it literally came not just from the city heads but from all the robins that are like what does it mean for you to be a robin you know why are you doing this like what do you identify with this about the most and there are a few things which came out i think we talked about hitting the ground running so one of our culture statements is think less do more we like you can keep obsessing about the problem but you'll only know it when you're executing so i think execution is a big part of what we do another part of our culture statement is 1% done you know like no matter how much praises or credibility you might have in the external world just remember the problem you're trying to address is much 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 bigger than the solution you're currently giving and that applies for us today also so always think about what next you know is it how do we embrace technology how do we get move from an organization of generalists to specialists how do we try to like really reach out to people who need the food the most you know like like there will always be a trade off there so like obsessing about the tomorrow i think that's the 1% done not just being proud of what you do as you mentioned michael but not content and similarly we also had a kind of culture statement for conflict resolution because earlier there's obviously a lot of disagreement but oh this is the way we should run it and this is the way we should not run it and uh, in my mind that's really healthy and that's really good because it means that people from different walks of life are coming and there's not group think but when is a conflict not healthy right and how do you articulate that so earlier it would be like let's say arushi my co-founder and me literally mediating and and trying to play judge and saying oh by the way these points make sense so maybe you should do that but then 
how scalable is that right and after a point why would people even start listening to us like you're not even in our city like what would you know so codifying it in a way which basically said that like look citizens first robins last so let's say michael and me are setting up the robin hood army in uganda and michael and me are having a very strong disagreement about the quality of the food we're giving that's a very legit thing to argue about and fight about and we should really thrash it out till we are both on the same page but a michael and me are having an argument about who should go to the food lab podcast then we are building an organization which is going to be very mediocre very soon so the narrative here is the first problem was a citizens problem this is the people we serve it directly affects that the second problem was a robins problem you know and like we have to be very very clear that look if it's a citizens issue which are debating great thrash it out like like be uncomfortable but the second it becomes about you so i think that culture statement really like that was a proactive way of solving for arguments rather than us playing judge and so that we can keep focusing on the food so i think i really took a tangent here but yeah building the culture at a very early stage and continuously thinking if that's relevant is a big part of running a large decentralized organization there's so many nuggets in here neil how to skill an organization the way you do and what i just find amazing and i don't say that because you're on the podcast but the wisdom that you bring to the way you approach life i find it so striking your organization does not take money there are very few organizations that want to do good in the world that i think would embrace the same philosophy so tell me a little bit more actually why you don't take money and then almost immediately as a follow up question but how do you make it run yeah no that's a that's a pretty long question you know it could be another podcast but i'll try to uh, summarize this so i think when um, we first started the robin hood army it was a passion project and uh, in this part of the world sometimes there's a bit of stigma with fundraising and corruption and whether the money is going to the right place so initially and i don't i i think this is the wrong reason to structure an organization it was a very very moral call that oh we will keep it clean and we will not take money but if you think about it if i just what i told you like that's not very citizens first like as oh i'm very moral and i'm building an organization so i'm not going to take money so it took me like a few months to kind of like call out my own bs and then it was more about understanding the organization and the ethos of it right currently we have around 220000 robins on the ground across 401 cities we did a survey a year back so the number was slightly lesser but 91% of people joined because there was no money involved and no one was making a buck i keep referencing this gentleman in one of our local cities he's a widower he's in his 60s for the last 6 years he's done a food drive every single night of the year between 10 pm and 2 am in his neighborhood in the last 6 years no one has slept hungry what is the one word to describe that ownership 
and i think the number one reason we don't collect money is because these 220000 robins have extremely high levels of ownership and they think of it as their own baby arushi my co-founder now lives in new york they're not concerned whether someone living in boston or new york or delhi for them they're like oh this is part of a organization i can really relate to no one's making a buck so i'm going to put my heart and soul into building this so that's one the second thing is and we haven't talked about this a lot one of the key levers to growing the robin hood army has been partnerships and partnerships are really simple where the outcome is either more food or more visibility so we partnered with billboard agencies we partnered with radio stations we partner with national television channels we partner with uh, leading food tech companies we partner with an uber who gives us rides worth hundreds of thousands of dollars free to go and give the food we was partner with facebook who's built out a tool for robins to sign up in a very seamless manner we partner with a tech team called zerodha which is one of india's leading startups and they built out a tech platform to solve for robin retention and why am i saying this the pitch in every single partnership is the pitch i've always had in every single restaurant which is like look this is the food waste problem this is the number of people who are hungry in your city we are trying to make a difference to this we're not collecting any money the only reason we're doing this is because we want to make a difference to our community it's almost like if you think about negotiation one on one you just get to model leverage so it's not like can you give me two or three billboards you have it's more like can i ask you for the 500 billboards you have which you've not sold this quarter but you're not making business of why don't you give that all to the robin hood army and it's very very difficult to say no to that because i am not collecting money i have a full time job i am doing this to help more people so my point is that there's a lot of leverage and the outcome of these partnerships is worth millions of dollars a year and the second i raise a rupee or a dollar i lose that leverage so that's number 2 and number 3 is uh, we just briefly talked about structure but we have a dedicated growth and expansion team these are folks who grown through the system like they were earlier robins then they were chapter heads at a community level then they became city heads now they spend their time most of the time on zoom calls hangouts or phone calls with people from different parts of the world persuading them to or making them passionate about building the robin hood army in their local geography and b trying to get a sense of does this person on the other side have a bias for action is their intent right and do they have strong local networks we can tap into right and that's a one hour process maybe a one and a half hour maximum right where like both things like you figure out is it a fit but then we kind of have a playbook where we coach them over 6 weeks with technology with videos with constant supervision on how to launch a chapter and then we kind of put them into the mothership which is like the regular gamification principles we follow but the point being there is no due diligence there is no oh, if michael is setting up in kenya what is michael's financial history what is his bank statement why what has he done where is he going to allocate funds it's just much more swift and nimble and that's the reason we are in 13 countries and that's the reason we are in 
India and Pakistan, and that's the reason why we're across so many cities, because funds is not a bottle bottleneck to growing. So at least for me, like that's my north star. It's very very clear that like look, as long as we're serving more people, and if not collecting funds is levered, let's do it. Like personally speaking, I'm really passionate about this. I love to do this, fifteen hours a day, seven days a week. Pay myself a comfortable salary, and this might be me bragging, but I think I can raise the funds. But I don't think it's the right thing for the organization, and uh, I think that's kind of like the philosophy behind not collecting money. Does that make sense? Totally. But it's, it's a unique model, and I think we could spend hours digging deeper into this, Neil. But what really has struck with me, it's your leadership journey. And the way you set up your organization and continue to support the organization as of today. And I fully acknowledge it's not just you. There are 220,000 Robins out there as well. Thank you so much for the time today. And I love what you said. Think less, do more. Let's get going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Neil's story reminds us of the power of a conversation. It was truly a simple conversation that sparked the idea for Robin Hood Army and ongoing conversations with Robins, with partners that helped scale the organization's impact. I love Neil's humility as a leader and his willingness to converse with others too, as he says, level up. This complex challenge of food loss and waste can seem daunting. But what I appreciate about Neil and the Robin Hood Army is that they are doing what they can within their sphere of influence. And as you all see throughout this season, it takes everyone doing what they can with what they have to truly transform our food system. If you would like to join or learn more about the Robin Hood Army, visit RobinHoodArmy.com. As always, you can find additional resources and links in our show notes. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you heard, like and subscribe to our podcast at foodlaptop.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and inspiring actions towards a better food system for us all. See you next time.